Welcome to the Money Markets and Macro Podcast, brought to you by Atticus Capital. I'm your host, Liam Hennessy. Now, today, we've got some interesting information, a couple of oddball items that we've seen in the futures market that we'll be discussing in the latter half of this podcast. But as always, let's start out with the market performance. Now, I'm recording this episode on the 21st. We had some delays over the weekend, so we'll be updating the returns and the numbers for the markets as of Monday, the 21st of November. Now, starting out looking at oil, this is something we'll discuss a little later on in the podcast as well. We're seeing oil trading at 79.93, right underneath that 80 level. We did come back and touch down at these uh, supply, or not supply, sorry, demand level at 75.25. We did touch that level today. That's somewhere around the uh, late September lows that we saw at 76.36. Now, a really good recovery on oil at the end of the day here. It moved almost... Well, let's see how much it moved from the lows of today. From the lows to the close, we are up about 6%. So a very nice rally in oil today. We did see that as a result, I believe, of OPEC changing around some of their cuts or production output. So we'll see where the direction goes for oil. The current chart clearly isn't the most positive chart, but some of the events in the interim can change that in the short term. Looking over at natural gas, we did see natural gas rise by... 1.57% today, closing at $6.66. Trending fairly well in the positive direction. We did see a low set in the uh, latter half of October. And now we did see a a nice bounce off those lows at around $5. We saw a little bit of consolidation throughout most of November, late October. And now we're seeing the commodity of natural gas starting to rise in price again. We do have some limits up at the top end of the range at around $7 for natural gas contracts. We'll see if it wants to get back to that level and try again at breaking out. That'll be a very good indication for the next phase of the price for natural gas. So we will be watching this commodity in the weeks to come. Looking over at the indexes here, we've got the Russell. The Russell on today fell by half a percent hasn't done too much. We're not trading in any too much of a direction. The overall trend right now remains positive. It's holding its trend lines and the channel that it is trading, the positive channel that it's trading within. So it's very possible we see the small caps continue to rise. We do have some resistance at around 1885. Uh, That's where we sold off last time. There was a couple other bounces that we did reach to this level and then they rejected. So we'll see if this is another rejection or if there are... uh, buyers that are waiting for this to continue on further north from here. Moving on over to the NASDAQ composite. NASDAQ, let's move this over to the day. NASDAQ did indeed fall today by 1%. It did reject this level of 11,225, right around that range. We've seen some prior times where it's hit that level back in early October. We did hit that level and reject. We did reject from that level once again in late October. We did over the past few weeks, early to mid-November, we did get above this level and then we did see a reversal. So we'll see if this continues to be a more uh, 
uh, you could say momentous move to the downside after this rejection of one uh, 11,225 right around that range. We'll keep an eye on the NASDAQ as well. Very different direction that we're seeing in tech than we are in the small caps. Moving over to the Dow Jones Industrial Average, they had a fairly decent day, only down by one-tenth of one percent by about 0.13. Nothing too crazy on the Dow Jones. We are back to this supply level of around 34,200, 34,100, right around that range is where we are seeing some uh, resistance in the Dow Jones. But if we take a look at the all-time highs relative to where we are today, the Dow Jones is only down about 8.8%. It is faring much better than the tech-heavy Na uh, NASDAQ composite and even better than the small cap index and, again, the S&P. So we are seeing that industrials, utility names, energy names are clearly the best-performing names. Some of the value stocks that you'll typically see perform a little better than the growth stocks in the type of cycle that we are in. Taking a look now, lastly, at the Standard & Poor's Index, it looks a lot more like the small caps. It's got this very good channel trend uh, in the positive direction off of the lows set back in early October. Today, we only fell by about 0.4%, nothing too crazy, trading at 39.49, right around that 39.50 level. We'll see if it decides to hold it here. There's not too much on a technical basis that we're seeing that is too overbearing at this level. We do have a little bit of resistance at around 4,000. Clearly, we did see that over the past few trading days. We'll see if it wants to continue lower. There are some pretty decent demand levels below, some support beneath it. So we'll see if the Standard & Poor's Index decides to continue this rally, uh, which could be very possible. Unsure, depends on a lot of different market forces. We could see the uh, index get up to around 4,100, 4,150, right around that range. We would likely see it retouch uh, some of its overall trend line. There is a major trend line from the all-time highs back into the current trading uh, day. So we'll see if it wants to get to that level. That is another, uh, let's see here, that's another about three and a half to four percent from where we are currently. So there might be some moves to the upside, but if the overall market decides to take a leg lower, obviously we will not be getting back up there. It's very possibly come back and close this gap here uh, in the standard and pours 500 index around 3,800. Uh, next, we're gonna take a quick look at gold. Gold had a very strong rally ever since the uh, early November. We did see a very strong rally. I believe it was about, let's take a look here. Uh, from trough to peak was around 10%, around 9.5%, 10%. Very strong move in gold. We're starting to see that sell off a little bit. Coming, uh, it's coming back to this 1750, 1740 level where there's going to be some support here. That was a prior resistance for about uh, three attempts. It was prior resistance. And then it, again, it was prior support. So very crucial level here on gold for the daily chart. We'll see if gold wants to bounce off this level. If not, it's very possible we move back lower possibly back to 1700 and even further down to 1620. Lastly, let's take a quick look at the dollar. The dollar is strengthening once again. We did see some fairly uh, decent weakness over the past week or so. 
in the US dollar index. We did see a couple of days where we fell by 2.28%, another day following that by 1.4%. There's a little bit of a consolidation period at the 106 level. And then today we did see the dollar rally by 0.8% to 107.83. So dollar, it looks like it's strengthening again, also gives us an indication that the markets may not be going in the same direction as the dollar where they typically trade inversely of one another. Obviously, that's not always the case, but it is often the macro case. Now, moving on to sort of what we wanted to discuss today, there's a couple of elements. Uh, there was a signal that we saw in the oil market. I'll start out there. Uh, we could go into some pretty in-depth analysis on retail sales, PPI, uh, but there is a podcast episode by Jeff Snyder at Eurodell University with Stephen Van Meter, where they go very depth in depth with this research. So I'll let them cover that. We'll only cover a couple of the elements they discussed on their podcast today on our podcast. Uh, that'll be the oil futures curve and the uh, treasury yield curve, uh, two curves that are pretty often, you know, oil curves, not so much the topic of discussion, but interest rates clearly are. We'll take a quick look at the overwhelming, the overriding, uh, rates that we are seeing on interest rates and then some of the things some of the elements that we're seeing on the oil futures curve uh, starting out we'll just start with the treasury yield curve we'll take a quick look at an update at what we're seeing um, we're going through and looking at some spreads we've got the 10 twos the 10 year and the two year maturities they are inverted there's obviously inversions all over the place on the maturities for the treasury yields there's a uh, spread of about 82 basis points between the 10s and the 2s. There's an inversion on the 10-year and the 6th month of about 54 basis points. There is also an inversion on the 10-years and the 3 months, which is about 42 basis points. And even the 10-year uh, and the 1-month maturities are inverted by only 1 basis point, but also <laughs> the 10-years and the 1-month are inverted. So clearly there's some elements of the treasury market, treasury yields that are signaling there's a problem. Clearly there's typically the association when it comes to bonds of this type, uh, treasury bonds, treasury notes versus treasury bills, the short-term yielding maturities is time value of money. It's a very basic principle that the longer, especially when it comes to bonds, the longer the maturity, the larger the compensation you should be awarded for the risk over that time period. I'll give you a fairly decent example. Let's say, uh, take the 10 year and the one month, there's an inversion there. So you're being rewarded for holding for a shorter period of time. Now, why is that so odd in our world today? Well, typically when you're investing, say you want to buy a 10 year treasury, uh, bond treasury note. Well, you'd expect those rates, the interest you incur on that security that you have purchased to be higher because in the mix, the variables that go into assessing what interest rate you'll receive for holding that note will include inflation expectations, growth expectations, trade, macroeconomic factors, a bunch of different variety of factors that go into assessing whether, you know, what your rate should be on that note that you've purchased, obviously. Uh, 10 years is a lot more time for things to go poorly in the time period. Um, you know, things could go well, economy could grow over 10 years, but it could also shrink. There's a lot more variables that could impact the, the debt market, the fixed income market. So there's typically in a normal yield curve, you would see that the 10 year is clearly going to yield you a lot better returns 
than one month because obviously over a one month period of time, there isn't going to be the inflation expectation element to the same degree as you would over 10 years. Inflation obviously will move a lot more over 10 years than it will over one month, just as one metric to get an idea of why this is such an odd thing to happen, especially for these to hold their inversions for such a long period of time. For example, the 10-year and the two-year treasury maturity is inverted back in mid to early July. They were trading sort of up and down next to each other, and then they've remained inverted uh, ever since really early August, and they have not corrected, and they've only really widened over that time period to the point where they are now 82 basis point. There's an 82 basis point spread between the two. So there's an incentive for people to hold maturities over a shorter period of time. Now, this gets a little more complicated and a little more intense as you get into the tick data, the Treasury International Capital data, where in that data, what we're seeing is that foreign investors are actually buying at a higher rate. They're buying treasury bonds and notes at, a, at an accelerated pace, an accelerated rate. So foreigners are buying more and more and more long-term bonds. Now that gives us an idea. Uh, it's one little signal that we're seeing in the market that says, well, if the Fed says that inflation is so hot and they have to continue to raise interest rates, does that not incentivize purchase? The purchase of short-term treasury maturities, obviously, they're going to net you a better yield over the time period. But it doesn't seem like foreign investors are buying it because they're buying more and more long-term treasury notes and bonds. Now, we're looking at the tick data here for the last few months. The, the last month they have on record here for reported dates is uh, September. September was the last month of, of record where foreign uh, investors bought from U.S. residents a total of $2 trillion dollars worth of treasury bonds and notes where the prior month uh uh oh, august here august they bought 2.4 trillion july they bought 1.6 trillion june they bought 2 trillion so there's there's still the heavy heavy purchases of u.s treasury bonds and notes and obviously if you go back to you know 2019 um let's see if i can find the dates here the correct dates uh 2019, 2020, 2021, obviously this data was a little lower. We had maybe 1.6 trillion, 1.5 trillion, 1.4 trillion, so on and so forth, lower and lower and lower. So foreign investors are buying more and more long-term U.S. debt. That gives you an idea of, well, what, what's the expectation of foreigners keep buying long-term treasury bonds and notes? Well, the clear indication is when you have an inversion on, say, the 10-year yield and the 2-year yield is that when the 10-year yield is lower than the 2s, they'll expect that the 2s will eventually come down and normalize underneath the tens because the Federal Reserve has a lot more of an impact at the short end of the curve. They have a lot more impact on short-term maturities, the one month, two month, three month, six month, two year, so on and so forth, where they start to lose power and traction is once you get really to the two year to the 30 year, that two year is kind of good barometer between the short and the long-term maturities. Uh, the long-term maturities are telling you a different picture than the short-term maturities. Short-term say, you know, inflation, well, they kind of tell you a picture. They say that inflation's a short run thing but it doesn't look like it'll be going on for the next 10 years so short-term volatility is obviously going to be a lot higher now this data it's very complex stuff uh treasury curves yield curves all this other stuff is very complex um again as i always note i have no affiliation atticus has no affiliation with Eurodollar university nor do we with jeff snyder or any of his ventures but 
we do, I do at least personally recommend his analysis. He's a very brilliant mind and he has a lot more detail, uh, expertise when it comes to, especially the topics of, you know, treasuries, yield curve, so on and so forth. But there is an element that I wanted to discuss today before we wrap up the podcast, and that's going to be the oil futures curve. Now, there's a couple of things to note when we're looking at oil futures curves is that there's two basic principles. There's backwardation and contango. Now, to really simplify this, when oil futures are backwardated, it incentivizes producers to put oil into the market because that's where the most expensive contracts are at. So when a futures curve is backwardated for a commodity like oil, you'll have your front month, say your November contracts, November future contracts are going to be the most expensive contracts on the market, indicating that consumers and producers want more oil on the market immediately. And when a, a futures curve such as oil is in contango, what that tells you is that the longer dated uh, futures are more expensive than the short term and the, than the uh, front month contract. So that incentivizes storage. Now, what we saw and what we're seeing right here is something really interesting. You'd expect with, you know, the diesel shortage, you've got OPEC that is trying to uh, cut or maybe produce more oil or cut more oil. There's, there's a diesel crisis. Europe's not getting the crude oil from Russia. You'd expect that it's the, the, the oil futures curve should be heavily backwardated. There should be a huge incentive to put oil on the market today at the most expensive price. But that's just not so. What we're seeing here, and it's only one little signal and it's only a little blip, but if this is, and it could be, again, there could be some elements of it as well, where we have the November contracts rolling off uh, the board, as Jeff Snyder put it. Um, so there could be some technical uh, elements to this. This is typically like uh, OPEX with options expirations. You get a little bit more volatility as there accumulate. There's a culmination of uh, expiration dates for a, a variety of different options. You see that type of volatility. Same thing can occur here in the future, but even with that, there should be some difference. There should be some change between the uh, front month and the latter uh, month contracts because there's such a need for this commodity. But what we're seeing here, I'm looking at the December 2022 oil, crude oil futures, and the January 2023 contracts, where the December contracts are at 79.74, and the January contracts are at 79.80. Now, that doesn't seem like too much of a deal, right? That doesn't, that doesn't seem like, oh my goodness, there's a huge thing going on where, where the oil market is completely in, in, in tatters and things are going haywire, but that's not the case. It, it's a small, you know, six points, six cents, difference between the between the two contracts, the December and the January contracts. But what does that tell us? It tells us that this contango element, this rolling of the futures curve in oil is moving a little bit. Why is it moving? This shouldn't be moving at all. We are being told there's oil crises and shortages and diesel shortages and all these things all over the place. Why is contango even a part of our discussion? It shouldn't be, but it is. Now, Aside from the technical things, it's likely that we're going to see this normalize. But what we should take note of 
is that if this occurs again, see, that's typically how these things will operate. So there's a great scene in the, uh, in the movie, the, um, let me try to think of it. Margin call, excuse me. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Margin Call, if you haven't, I highly recommend you watch it. It's it's kind of like a big short movie, but it's a little more pinned in to one specific company and the events. It's it's an entire movie over the span of, you know, a few hours in one night. That's the entire movie, essentially. But one of the things that brought back to my mind when I saw that Contango and the, the futures curves were getting a little wonky in the oil, not by too much, but that they were touching this sort of, you know, they were, they were moving a little unusually was there's a scene in the movie where they're discussing the uh, mortgage backed securities, the assets they had on their balance sheet and the assets on the balance sheet were going outside of their limits for, you know, volatility outside of the volatility limits, right? They had this huge number of mortgage backed securities and credit default swaps and all of these you know, mortgage-based securitized assets and collateralized loans, so on and so forth. And what they noticed in the movie was that the volatility range was being touched, right? And clearly when you think about it that way, think about, you know, a line, a typical line that kind of goes up, down equally between two levels, right? You have, say, a level at the top end of 10, a level at the bottom end of negative 10, and what you're looking for is for your, you know, volatility level to remain between the positive 10, and the negative 10, right? It's always historically traded between those two levels. And under any normal condition, it should always stay between those two levels. And in the movie, it's sort of like when you see, you know, the levels that you're looking at that you want, it starts to get a little bit above 10, where, you know, it gets 10.1. Okay, that's only one little thing. And then it goes to maybe negative 10.2. And then it trades normally for a few weeks. And then it goes back and goes, you know, 10.5. So it's that type of analysis that we have to take a look at. We have to kind of come back and really cool it down. This isn't the be all end all. We're not saying that the entire economy is going to fail because the, uh, the, uh, the December and January oil future contracts, the crude oil futures are in contango by six cents, right? That's not what we're saying, obviously, but it's something that we should keep an eye on as investors, as people, individuals trying to become more educated. We should all be taking a look at these contracts. So I'll leave you with that today. We'll keep it relatively short. As always, thanks for tuning in and we will see you on the next one.